We try to uh, clarify and quantify what we're doing here as a church through a statement, and it's this one. Everybody read it with me. If you look on the screens, you can hopefully see it. It says this, everybody. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. I know you're distracted. There's African baskets being passed in front of you. Let's read that like we mean it, shall we? Here we go. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. The church has been in existence for 2,000 years, and in some form or fashion, this has been its purpose, its, its reason for being. All people were created by God and for God, and we who are saved into a relationship with God, reconciled to him through our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done, uh, we have been made disciples, and we live to glorify God by following him, becoming more like him. Uh, then we go out in this mission. You guys leave here every week. I pray that you understand that you're, um, uh, you're not just coming to be a part of a service and then forget about it for the next six days. You're coming to prepare for the next six days, to get ready to live on mission, to live your life in such a way that people see your faith, see your love for God, see that you're a disciple, and they're like, hey, how can I become one of those two? Uh, that's our hope. Uh, we uh, try to encase or, or, or plant our, our vision, our mission here uh, in some values, and uh, we've kind of called those the four. We've certainly got other things that we seek to do, but uh, all of the things that we do hopefully kind of fall under one of these four headings. We want to worship God. We talked about that this past week. We want to worship God alone, not just in the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning, but in the lives that we live all the time, having God as our first. We want to belong to God, and we understand that that happens through our faith in Jesus Christ, but we also see that we need to belong to each other. I'm going to talk to you about that today. We want to go from here, and like we said in that uh, mission statement that we had there at the top, we, we want to multiply the kingdom of God. We want to be disciples who make disciples. And then we want to serve. We want to serve God and serve each other as a service to our God. Today we're going to talk about a better belong. When I was praying through these messages and the thing that God would have me emphasize in each of them, he just kept up coming up with this word, better. Just, Mark, just help us as a church, help our people be better at worshiping, at belonging, at multiplying, and serving. Just go further than we've gone before. And so uh, my hope for us is to be better in this area of belonging. So we talk about belonging, we gotta talk about the church because that's what we principally belong to. And so a couple of statements about the church. Can we get going with those? Here's the first one. Church isn't where I go, it's who I am or who I uh, have been called to be in Christ. Does everybody get that? Church isn't a building, I tell you all, all the time, it's not a place, it's a people. It's a movement. Uh, you and I have been bought with a price. If you don't know the gospel, let me give it to you as quickly as I can clearly as I can, here's the deal. You and I, born into sin, born lost, born without a savior, born without a hope of being saved, and God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. We don't believe in what we can do because it'll never be enough. We believe in what Jesus has done. He came, he lived a perfect life, became a perfect sacrifice for us, died and rose again. And in doing so, paid the penalty for our sins and gave us life. All that is required of us is to believe, to make him our savior and our Lord and to follow him in faith. Now, when you did that, you were, the Bible tells us, bought, purchased. Uh, Christ's work on the cross was the price that was paid for you and I to have life with him. 
And so hopefully you see yourselves not as property per se, but as, um, uh, as God's chosen ones, as his family, as his bought ones. Uh, but you were bought with a purpose. Anybody ever been given someone a gift? Anybody, nobody in here has ever given a gift? What a curmudgeonly crowd. Be more generous, people. Give gifts. It's a conversation. If you're new, we're talking. So if I ask you a question, hey, is anybody giving a gift? Oh, good. Good to have you. Great to have you here this morning. Yeah. So you bought something uh, to give to someone else. Right? That's what a gift is, right? Okay. So when Jesus bought us, he bought us not just for himself and to draw him to relationship with himself, but he bought us to be able to give us to each other. Turn next to someone and say, you're my gift. Hope you, hope you believe that about that person. Hope you weren't fighting on the way here. But the, the church isn't where I go. The church is who I am. I am bought with a price and I belong not just to God, but to those that belong to him. Now, that's what the next point is. Church isn't just who I am. It's who I belong to. It's not a building that I go to. It's a people that I'm a part of. It's not just who I am. A lot of times we can have this kind of Lone Ranger picture of Christianity. It's not just about you. It's about us. You're a part of us. I'm a part of you. We're all in this together. Is that high? Did I just do High School Musical? In a, in a, uh, that's what I just did. All right. Uh, <laughs> wow. The Bible talks a ton about us belonging to each other, probably most uh, famously in a letter that Paul wrote to his friends in Corinth. He, he talked about us being the body, and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, that you are, speaking to this church, the body of Christ, and individually members of one body. There's a whole series of sermons that can be preached on that text, but just suffice it to say that God uses your bodies, uh, my body, as an illustration of this body. We're, we're all equally important. In fact, he's very clear in writing to the Corinthians to say even the lesser parts, we esteem those. There's no, in fact, he's saying we're all equal. There's no lessers and greaters. There's just parts, and all the parts matter. Every member of your body goes into making your body whole and making it function the way it's supposed to. And I've, just as I've been preaching this this weekend, one aspect of many in that analogy is that uh, our bodies are, are, are set at, are, at preserving the whole. So, so when, when a part of our body does something stupid or, or aims to do something that's going to harm the rest of the body, there's other parts of the body that are like, hey, stop. Like when we were kids, we used to have hold your breath contests down at the city pool. Anybody ever do that one? I can hold my breath longer than you. And so we'd go, you know, out in the pool and, and someone would count it off. One, 1,000, two, 1,000. And, and you could hear their voices over the top. And you knew what the number was. I got to get the 49, 1,000. And so you're down there, uh, but for whatever reason, your lung capacity is such that you cannot get to 49, 1,000. But you are determined to win because you're a competitor. And so you're down there and it's 42, 1,000, 43, 1,000. But then the rest of your body says, hey, moron, we're going to die. Pop your head above the water. And you, you ever felt that feeling? You're like, ah, I lost. Well, that was the rest of your body saying, hey, we trump you in this situation so that we can continue to exist. Are you following me? The body of Christ is meant to be that for each other. Um, we're meant to speak the truth in love. We're meant to preserve the whole as we seek to love the member. 
Yeah. I want to talk to you about us being the church, about us belonging to each other uh, this morning. And I want to do it uh, from a different angle than I typically travel in these kinds of conversations. So I want to talk to you about um, us belonging to each other in the same way that God belongs to himself. And already some of you are going, pardon me? Uh, we need to understand this if we don't already, and I, I'm sure many of us do, but let me just kind of go over it again if we don't. God belongs to himself in Trinitarian community. God exists as three in one, and he lives eternally in this perfect community that is his, himself. Anybody been here long enough to sing the song that we sang? We sing it on Child Dedication Sundays. Um, I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ his Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is what? Three in one. Okay, you sing, when you sing that, you sing about the Trinity. You won't find the word Trinity in your Bibles. It's a word that we have created to help us kind of, um, you know, understand what we see in Scripture to be true, that God exists as three persons, even though he is one God. Some of you are like, well, that doesn't work, Mark. I did math. That's not true. Three is not one. Well, this is one of the great things about our God. There are aspects of him that we are not going to be able to cram into our logic. We're not going to be able to contain him in his nature and what we understand. Uh, but when we see him reveal himself as such, we do our best to accept how he is. And then we learn from it. I could go into a lot of things on the Trinity. And certainly if you go to one of those foundation courses, you will learn in greater depth about the Trinity. Please join us at Foundations. But uh, certainly uh, parts of scripture help us understand this uh, in, in hopefully uh, clear ways. Like in uh, John chapter one, probably some of you have memorized the first few verses of that gospel. It says, in the beginning was the word. When, when it says word there, who, who is John referring to? Jesus, that's right. When a pastor asks you a question, say Jesus, that's right. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus then, and Jesus was with God. Okay, whoa, time out. Jesus was with God. So, so by that preposition, we see that Jesus, at least in, in this phrase, is separate from God the Father because he was with him. Everybody see that? And if that's all that John wrote, we might think, well, Jesus was just a sub-God or a, or a sent one from God. In fact, the Ebionites, which you don't need to know about, but they were an early Jewish sect that actually held that Jesus wasn't the son of God. He was just a dude that had been blessed by God or was able to do some incredible things. In fact, most of our world are Ebionites. They see Jesus as just some great teacher or some you know, figure from history, but certainly not God. Um, we could probably draw that conclusion if this is all we had from John chapter one, that the word or Jesus was with God. But then the next phrase comes. What's the next phrase? Phrase And, and Jesus, or the word, was and is God. Well, now we got a situation here because we got God the Father who's God and we got God the Son who's God, but they're not the same persons. They are separate because the Son was with the Father. And, and where were they? In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and he, the Word, was in the beginning with God, the Father. Has anybody ever read the first page of your book? What's the first verse say? In the beginning. That's how it starts, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Anybody know what the second verse says? And the Spirit, capital S, the person of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, 
hovered among or above the deep. And so here at creation, as depicted here in John chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 1, you've got God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, the Word, who was with God. And in Genesis chapter 1, you've got God, the Holy Spirit, there at creation. Okay, this is just the beginning of a class that was lasted a couple semesters at seminary called Trinitarianism. But you're picking up the basics. Later on in the book of John, it says in verse 18 that no one has ever seen God, chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. So again, a, a, a grouping of words here. There's only one God, the only God, but it doesn't say God the Father, the only God. It says the only God who is where? At the Father's side. Well, wait a minute. Who's sitting at the Father's side? Well, we know from other scriptures that at the right hand is Jesus, the Son of God. Who is, according to John, the only God? Mark, is anybody is anybody doing that right now? <laughs> they got a twitch. Jesus goes on later in that same book and he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He's about to leave. He's going to go to his cross. But then he says, listen, when the spirit of truth comes, when the, the, the spirit comes in this age, the church age as we are living in it now, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, from who? From God the Father and God the Son. This triune relationship, whatever is meant to be given to us by the spirit will come from the three in one. Whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. When he, he will glorify me. The spirit will glorify me and point to me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. <laughs> Just so we're clear, all that the father has is mine, says the son of God. Therefore, I said that he, the spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so here, Jesus teaches Trinitarianism. The Spirit's going to come. He's going to glorify me and speak for me. He's going to glorify God and speak for God. What I have is from the Father. What the Father has for me, it can kind of get all circular. But what he's saying is, is God is one and he exists in three persons. Got to be careful of this because sometimes our analogies stop a little bit short. Uh, when I was growing up and someone wanted to try to help me understand the Trinity, he said, look at an egg. An egg has a shell and a white and a yolk, but it's just one egg. Three and one. Look at water. Water is just H2O molecules, but it can exist in three different ways. It can be ice cubes. It can be the actual liquid that you and I drink and swim in. It can also be steam or humidity if you live in Florida. And so water exists in these three forms. Then they'd go to you if you're a, a, a husband and a father and a son. Uh, you are one person, but you exist in these three phases. And the uh, water and the, and the, the person, now, those, those are actually um, maybe in the direction, but they're, they're, they're kind of dangerous because they basically teach a heresy or they are the representations of a heresy called modalism. And modalism is this heresy that basically says, well, there's one God, but he just kind of exists in three modes. Father, Son, and Spirit. It, it kind of strips the, the individuality of the persons of God. And, uh, and we, we got to be careful with that uh, because, uh, well, here, here's the graphic that is typically given to explain the, the Trinity. It says the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Holy Spirit and the Father is not the Holy Spirit, but God is the Holy Spirit and God is the Father and God is the Son. I have a friend who has this tattooed on his leg, and so when I forget about the Trinity, I just have him roll his pants up so I can see this. And, um, it's helpful. It's very helpful. Is it clear? 
No, some of you are like, seriously? I mean, he's talked for like 10 minutes about the Trinity. I don't know anything more about it than I started with. Um, hey, welcome to faith. Welcome to not understanding but believing. Not seeing but believing, right? Because God exists, this three in one. Now, we're talking about belonging though. As such, because God exists as three in one, he exists in this perfect, eternal relationship with himself. And his desire for all that he has created, all, all of us who are created in his image, is that we would emulate him in every way in life, including belonging, as he belongs to himself. See, because we know from Scripture that God created man in his image. It says in uh, chapter 1 of, of our books, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that God said, let us, oh, Trinity, right there, let us, God speaks of himself in the plural, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over all those things that are here on earth. And it says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We were created in God's image. When you think of image, what do you think of? I think of like a picture that I can see or you know, the face that's staring back at me in the mirror. Every time I come out here and preach, the last thing I do is I look in the mirror because I don't want the swoop of my hair to be unswooped and be distracting for some of you. Who's ever been listening to someone on a stage and they've got the swoop going the wrong way and you're just like, I can't listen to this guy. I want to, but his swoop is wrong, right? So I get up here and I try to make sure the swoop's going right. How's the swoop going? Is it okay right now? I can actually, if I, well, I gotta look this way. I can't really see, but anyway, uh, I can look at my image on the screens like many of you are doing right now. When we think of image, my point is we think external. We think the outside. We think of the appearances. Of someone, But when it says here, imago, image, it, it's, it's, it's really going beneath the surface as well. It's saying, don't just, and when we think of the image of God, we think of things like holiness and morality. In fact, let me read you some of these verses. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, as Pete's talking to uh, his readers here, he says, as obedient children, as Christians, uh, do not conf be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, and that's what we think about uh, being as image bearers of God. We need to be holy as he is holy, since it is written in Leviticus chapter 11, he quotes it here, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's what God said to Israel in Leviticus 11. Be holy like me. Be holy as I am holy. So we think morality, we think decisions, choices, all the things that we do and think and say. That's right, but it, but it goes, I believe, beyond that if we're going to be image bearers of God, we need to be like him in every facet. And if God exists in this co-eternal, co-existent, co-essential, co-beneficial relationship with himself, and we're meant to bear that image, then, then we understand that we need to belong to him and that we need to belong to each other as he belongs to himself. So, in summary, God created us to belong to each other in the same way that he belongs to himself. Now, everything's hunky-dory in this regard at creation for about two chapters in your Bible. And in the third chapter, as we've gone over quite often in my preaching with you, everything changes. Sin enters the world. Humanity decides, you know what, we're going to go uh, on this life or into this life without God. We're going to go off the script, off the page, and we're going to do it like we want to. And when this happens, 
the image of God that is humanity is marred. Uh, We are pulled away, not just in our relationship with him, but in our relationships with each other. In fact, it says in, in Genesis 3, as God is doling out the punishments first to the, to the snake and then to the woman and the man, he says to the woman, he says, hey, listen, your desire is going to be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, ladies, a lot of times when we read that verse, it sounds like you're the innocent in this situation. Your desire is for your husband, right? And he's the jerk because he's going to rule over you. Now, fellas, we're still the jerks, just so you know. We're still self-seeking um, and, and, and selfish, and, and we have to guard against in our marriage relationships, you know, uh, putting ourselves ahead of our wives, absolutely. But when it says there, ladies, your desire will be for your husband, that word desire is actually linked in the next chapter in the Bible to the desire to rule over someone. Like when Cain is angry with his brother Abel, for being honored by God for his, uh, his sacrifice, and he feels dissed by his brother, and he's taking all of his anger, which should have been on himself. He should have done better. But he's taking all of his anger and putting it on his brother Abel. You remember what God says to him? He says, hey, sin's desire is upon you. And then he says this. It's almost word for word with the, with the uh, um, punishment that's given to Eve. He says, but you must rule over it. Doesn't that describe the battle that you and I face uh, in everything in life. We, we, we have this selfish, sides of us that, selfish side of us that, that, that wants what it wants and wants to win and wants to have over anybody else having. And God uh, stands, whispers in our ear, sometimes yells in our ear, hey, don't let that rule you. That's what that word desire is, ladies. It means uh, your desire will be to please yourself, to honor yourself, to have for yourself in your relationship, and his desire will be to rule over you, and it's just not going to work in marriage or in any other human relationship when both people are just set on themselves. Now, this isn't a marriage series, but let me, let me draw you to the, to the fact that just a few verses earlier, before sin came into the world, God looked at the world, and before sin even existed, he said something's not good. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, uh, if you can throw that up there, the Lord God said, it is not good. Now he's, after every day of creation, said, that's good, that's good, that's good. At the end, when he created humanity, that's very good. Read it, it's all in the first chapter. But he comes here after creation has been in existence for a while, and he looks at this man who is without companion equal companion, humanity-wise, and he says, you know, it's just not good that this guy's not with somebody else. He should not be alone. So we need to make a helper fit for him. And ladies, that's where you came from. You're the only creation that's been created that wasn't made from the dirt. You guys came from the side of the man, and you were created as a fit helper. Now, it doesn't stop there. It's not just about marriage, which is a lot of times what we make this passage about, it goes on and it says later in that same chapter that these two were to, supposed to go forth and what? Multiply, make more of you. So that men and women in, in, in not just marriage relationships, but in all kinds of relationships, dudes with dudes and dames with dames and people just hang out, we can have this kind of God-like community and fellowship. It's all part of creation and God's idea of things moving forward. But then sin came. <laughs> and sin kind of wrecked that. Not kind of, totally wrecked that. In fact, if you read the rest of your Bible, 
Moving forward from Genesis 3, the Bible is a story of how mankind is a self-seeking, self-exalting, resource-hoarding band of murderers. Anthropology. You're like, we're not that bad. Yeah, we are. I mean, there's like pops of God's grace and his love and mercy in the story, but pretty much it's just on this bed of bleh. I'm so grateful that it doesn't exist today in our advanced times with all of our technology. You know, we've proceeded past being a, a humanity that is self-seeking, self-exalting, resource hoarding, and just a bunch of murderers. Turn on the news. That's every opening story. That's why I'm grateful for the good news. All in favor of the good news? Aye. Motion carries. Let's talk about some good news. The good news is this, that God saw us in our sin, saw the effects of our sin and said, nope, we're not going to leave it that way. He said, I love them too much to leave them like they are. And even though they deserve punishment and wrath and to be left to their own devices, I will step in. And Jesus comes. Becomes for us that perfect sacrifice, dies, rises again, so that all who believe in him, all who make him Savior and Lord, will not perish but have everlasting life. More than that, all who make Jesus their Savior and Lord will become reconciled to God, but then to each other. Paul tells the Colossians this in chapter 1 when he says, in verse 19, for in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. More Trinity stuff there. Jesus is God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. Romans talks about that. That because of Christ, we have peace with God. We have peace, potentially, if we choose it with each other. That's what his sacrifice won us. It gave us this opportunity for peace. So now we get to live. Now my prayer is that we will live in the kind of community that God himself has eternally existed in within the Trinity. That we will, as, as much as we can humanly possibly uh, become, we will become like him and love each other as he loves himself. There's so, I mean, this could just be a, a three-day sermon. Let me just touch on a couple things that that means. If, if we get to love each other like God loves himself, that means we get to freely give for the good of, of one another. We, we get to be in relationship where, where we don't seek for ourselves. That's how God exists. God doesn't exist in, in triune competition. The son trying to get a step up on the father or the father trying to downgrade the spirit. They live to glorify each other to honor each other. They exist in perfect harmony. A lot of times when we picture the throne room, we maybe you know, picture like the three bears, you know, there's God the Father's throne, it's really big. And then you know, on the right hand of that is the Son's throne, it's a little bit smaller. And then the Holy Spirit, we're not even sure if he's got a throne because he's kind of like the force in Star Wars or something like that. He's just kind of out there. But, but the Bible does not describe the Trinity in that way at all. Co-equal co-eternal, co-beneficial, <laughs> living forever 
with a desire to do nothing except glorify the others. Hmm. What kind of relationships would we have in his church if we freely gave and freely received and sought only the betterment and benefit of each other? Great things happen when that happens. Yesterday, Eleanor and I cleaned out her garage. Uh, when I announced that that's what was going to happen in the morning and asked her to help me, she said, well, we're going to fight today. <laughs> Anybody got a very honest relationship like that? <laughs> but I'm pleased to uh, you know, tell you that we didn't fight at all because I believe that for those four hours that we were sweeping and hauling and, and uh, downsizing and um, choosing to throw things out, um, we worked as harmoniously as we could, both of us seeking to honor the other. I'd throw everything out, just so you know. I'm that guy. Uh, she likes to keep some things. But we found this happy medium, this compromise. And at the end, the whole goal was to be able to park two cars in our garage. Is anybody not able to park a vehicle in your garage? That's what they were made for. You know that, right? Uh, we've been able to park one. It was my dream to be able to park two. And yesterday at around 2.30, we parked both cars in our garage. Thank you. But every once in a while, we get these glimpses in our relationships of what it is to live in a, a way in, in triune unity, in, in, in the way that God lives with himself. We, we give to each other freely, and it changes the quality of our relationships. But not only that, listen, I, I could go on and on. I won't. But uh, isn't it great that uh, as God delights in himself, we get, because of God in us and us bearing his image, we get to delight in each other. We get to, to delight in one another. And, and I bring this up, I could have brought up so many other things, but I think so often, especially in human relationship where sin kind of reigns too often in our um, days, is, is, is we see the hole and not the donut. We see the negative in people. And listen, I'm not standing up here and being Pastor Blow Sunshine, but, 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 here, but here's, here's my deal. We are a blessed people. Amen. We have been given so much by a God who, in all rights, shouldn't give us anything. And when we refuse to see his blessings, and when we, furthermore, refuse to see each other as blessings, it adversely affects our relationships, whether it's in your marriage or in your home or here in our church, his church. Um, we, because we have God as our image that we bear, because he is in us and he has made us, we get to be like him in the ways that we celebrate each other. We can delight in each other as God delights in himself. One of my favorite places in scripture where all three members of the Trinity show up is at the baptism of Jesus in Luke chapter three. Jesus comes out of anonymity. Uh, he's been making furniture with his dad for probably the first 30 or so years of his life, but he comes out of the woods and he sees his cousin John. He's been baptizing people in the Jordan River for probably months now in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. And John sees his cousin and the Holy Spirit reveals to John that his cousin Jesus is the Messiah. Yeshua is Messiah? And Jesus comes up to John and says, hey, baptize me. And John's like, no, I'm not baptizing you. You baptize me, bro, because I know who you are. And Jesus says, no, 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 this is how it's got to work. Dunk me. And so John dunks his cousin. And it tells us in the story that the Holy Spirit descends like a what? 
If you're kind of new to the Christian faith and you see a lot of birds on the sides of churches, that's what this is from. Okay? The Holy Spirit is pictured as a dove at the baptism of Christ, and he's there. He's manifest, manifested in the form of this, this bird, this, this, this dove. And then a voice comes from the clouds. Anybody remember that? It's God the Father. We know that because he says, this is my in whom I am well pleased. And there they are, the Trinity, on display. Son getting dunked, spirit flapping around, Father's voice. And certainly, I don't want to diminish what's going on there. Obviously, it is the inception, the beginning of the work of Christ and his ministry was being authenticated by the presence of the other two members of the Trinity. I don't want to diminish that in any way. But couldn't it be just in some forms that the Holy Spirit and God the Father wanted to be there on the big day, this day that they've been planning for all eternity to shift the balance and to move the story in a new direction? Do you like to be there on the big days of those that you love? It's fun to watch other people flourish, isn't it? As a father, I celebrate more the victories of my kids when they happen, sometimes than even they do. They'll come up to you after a show or something like that and be like, yeah, I missed this, or I should have played this note or whatever. And you're just, Eleanor and I will sit there at Ben's concert, you know, because the next band's on, it's very loud, so we're like, it was awesome! Because we're excited for those that we love. I'm grateful that churches can be excited for each other. Because, you know, a little turn the page, turn the curtain back here. You know, sometimes churches in the same town compete with each other. It's true, Eleanor. (laughs) Sometimes Christians can talk poorly about other Christians who go to other boxes on Sunday because they somehow want to feel more superior about their box or maybe even draw other people to their box. And what a sinful approach to God's church. Oh my goodness. Because you know, God's for all the boxes. Everybody gets that, right? Because we are his church bought with a price. And just because we meet in this box doesn't make us any better or any worse than anybody else's box. I love meeting people from other boxes. I did a funeral on Thursday and, and folks from another church who's, um, ch- the, the children of the decedent uh, went to their church and so there was families and people from that church that were kind of here at the funeral here on our campus and so I walked through to go back to the, 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 you know, the sugar time, the reception and, and there was four people kind of hanging out right here and, and uh, I said, oh, hi, how you doing? And it quickly became apparent that they were not just from the other church, they were on the staff. They were pastors from the other church and they had come because they loved the family. And, uh, and so we got to talk and I'd never met uh, any of them before and, and they were just looking around our room and being like, oh, how many people sitting here? And I was like, not enough. Anybody, t- anytime, any, anytime someone asks you how many people go to your church, just say not enough. But we just hung out for a little bit and talked and I quickly realized they're on the same page with me as far as delighting in each other. Because it wasn't going to be, you know, we're doing this better. We've got more. It's just like, you know, what's God doing in your box? What's God doing in our box? And we delighted in the work of God. That's how it's supposed to work. Oh, that's how it's supposed to work. Because that's how God designed it to work. Because that's how God works. When it comes to community, 
We're meant to delight in each other. We're meant to freely give. There's so many other things. If I had more time, I'd preach them. But I want to answer a couple questions as we close. The first one is this. How do we create God-like belonging here in his church? He helps us with that. His scriptures make it very clear how it's supposed to go. In fact, one of my favorite scriptures is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, uh, where it tells us, uh, as Paul kind of pivots there in his writings to his friends in Rome, uh, here's how the church is supposed to work. Here's how relationships are supposed to work. I'd like you to read that passage every day this week. And I'd like you to pray after you're done reading those verses. There's only 12 of them. I'd like you to pray and I'd like you to ask God, God, would you bring about um, this kind of relationship in my family, in my marriage, if you're married, in my, in my family, in, in, my, in, in my life group, if you're in a life group or if you're going to be in a life group after this service, I hope you are, uh, in my uh, church, in your church, bring about these kinds of relationships. Read the verses and then pray that prayer. I'm not going to preach the verses, but let's, let me give you a sample. It says in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, let love be genuine. No fake love. Sound good for relationships? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. These are all in the context of relationship, people. Don't miss that he's telling them as a church how to function in relationship. Telling them how to be genuine in their love. He says, in relationship, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. How's that for a relationship talk right there, right? Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, don't be snooty. Don't think you're all that and a couple bags of chips. Just see yourself as God sees you, loved. Associate with those that he loves. Never be wise in your own sight. There's never been any better advice for relationships to flourish than do you think that you're always right. Stop doing that. It's called humility. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all if possible so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. What, I mean, read those verses. Apply them to your relationships. And see God-likeness rise up in you. Because that's how God comes to us. That's how he wants us to come to each other. The last question I'll leave us with is, how do we find God-like belonging in this church? And uh, we've, we've uh, kind of committed to telling more of our story here as a church uh, through video. And so uh, Tom and Stephen put together this video for us uh, to tell us the story of someone who found belonging here in God's church called Bay Life. Uh, it's the last thing we'll do. I'll come up after we're done and pray. Please stay, watch, and learn how to belong. In 2015, a young couple received news they weren't expecting to hear. His company was downsizing and consolidating. and As a result, they were shutting down his office and terminating his job. This company, two weeks later, offered him a new job in a new city, two hours away, here in Tampa. 
it was a lifeline that they needed. You see, they were expecting their first child, and so they jumped at that lifeline. Now, Tampa wasn't a city that they ever dreamed of living in. In fact, they viewed it as a pass-through city. You know, the kind of place you stay in until something better comes along. And so each week, they made a two-hour trek back to Fort Myers to go to church. That's two hours each way. It was a special church. This was a place where he had first come to really know Jesus at a certain depth and had really grown in his faith in the Lord. And so each week they made that trek for two years. They began to feel uneasy about making that journey each week. Perhaps it was the fact that their two-year-old didn't want to sit for two hours each way to go to church. Or perhaps it was the fact that she was pregnant with her second child and she didn't really want to sit for two hours each way to go to church. They knew something had to change. And so they looked at each other and said, hey, we need to find a church that's a little bit closer to where we live. And well, that's where you come in, Baylife. You see, it was a friend at work, a, a lifer, who invited her to try us. And so they came and they experienced a Sunday and they loved what they experienced. They loved the teaching and they loved the sense of humor and the sense of joy that they felt. The only problem was the service they went to was about 10 times bigger than the entire church that they loved back in Fort Myers. A sea of nameless faces. Uh, they felt lost. So they came week after week. They became weekenders. You, you know the type. They come in, they drop their kids off, and they go to service, and then they go back out, not saying hello to anyone. I mean, why would they? It's full of people they don't know, and they're not expecting to stay in Tampa that long. And so they hid. For 13 months, they stayed hidden, feeling more and more lost and alone. Oh, they heard the invitation to go to Life Group and to sign up and join one, but they had all the excuses. I mean, maybe you're familiar with them, right? Schedule, time, childcare. Uh, don't want to, you know, I can do it alone. I don't need anyone in my life. But in May 2018, they needed to dedicate their child. So to do that here at Baylife, they needed to join a three-week class. And that's where they found themselves here, <laughs> in room 604, in the back of the church, in the portables, a place, well, not many see in our church. They came in expecting to check the boxes of the three weeks of class so they could dedicate their child, but they found something different. They found you, Baylife. They came in and they connected quickly with the other couples that were here. And at the end of the three weeks, the class asked the teachers, says, hey, can we go for another five weeks together? And the Greaves, who were teaching the class at the time, said, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll teach for another five weeks. At the end of that time, the class looked at each other and said, man, we should form a life group together, and, but we need a leader. It was at that moment that God whispered into these weekenders' ears, that's you, you should lead. So they said yes. They, they met with our life group's pastor, Shane. He walked them through the life group leadership training. You see, it had been easy to come week in, week out, to come and go. But what they found is every time they said yes to God in this journey, that God met their obedience with an amazing grace and overwhelming kindness in what he uh, allowed them to see and experience. Well, it's been over a year, Baylife. And this life group that started with eight couples has turned into 11 couples. 
they, they would tell you that there's a depth in friendship that they've, that they've grown into. They've supported each other and ministered to each other through all of life's ups and downs over the past years, through deployments and babies and other events. This couple that would say, we could do it on our own, would tell you today, we can't imagine life without these other couples. You see, Tampa is not just a pass-through city anymore. It's home. You know, you can be a part of the crowd here at Baylife. You can come each weekend and we'd love for you to do that. But if you want to be a part of the church, well then join a group. That's where real life, real ministry, real friendship, real church takes place when we belong to each other. You see, that's not just their story. That's your story. That's our story. And that's most definitely God's story. So now my prayer is that it will be our story. And you're gonna walk out of this room like probably you've done before many times. And uh, maybe you're one of those weekenders that this couple was and, and you've kind of sat in the soft black chairs and that's been enough. Uh, but as we've discovered today, God within himself lives in community and he's created us in his image to be like him. He has through his son reconciled us to himself, but he has given us to each other. And so it's in these relationships that he desires for us to move and, and flourish and, and find him to, to, to love and be loved, to serve and be served, to, to know and be known. Some of you might think, oh, I don't need relationships. Maybe someone in a group that you join does. And, and maybe you're their next step in them knowing and becoming more like the God who saved them. So you... Do what you're going to do. Uh, but I pray that each one of us leaves here today belonging. Belonging to each other in the relationships that God has for us. Let me, we stand with us as we pray. Hey, God, we thank you uh, for a chance to come and make much of you in song and uh, to pray to you and hear from you through your word. I, I, I pray that we have. I pray that uh, we walk out of here understanding a little bit better uh, who you are and, and who you've made us to be. Uh, God, would you lead us in this next season uh, to those that we would belong to and to those that would belong to us. Uh, take us deeper into relationship, God, so that we can um, um, love and be loved and serve and be served and know and be known. Uh, that's my prayer. It's my hope. I know it's your hope. Lead us in it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Group Link awaits. Have a great week.